So the Middle Eastern fool, some of y'all remember me talking about him. His name was Nasruddin Hoja, 12th century wise fool, they called him. Something about his foolish antics that always revealed wisdom that no one was thinking about at the time, but that seemed appropriate at all times. Well, one evening after a party, he was making his way home just by himself, walking along a, an abandoned sort of road. It was just isolated and quiet through the woods. It was dark enough that he couldn't see a whole lot in front of him, but with the moon's light in the distance, he saw a group of what looked like maybe five guys. He began to wonder why these guys were out there. I mean, he knew why he was out there, because he was out there because he'd been at a party and he was making his way home, but why would they be out here? And the more he got to thinking about why they're out here, the more he began to think maybe they were out there for him. He got scared. So he turned and he started walking kind of fast in the other direction. When he looked behind him, he saw that they were coming along pretty fast too. They'd picked up their pace. So he started moving faster and the faster he moved, the faster they seemed to be moving and even gaining on him a little bit until finally, in a panic, he ducked into a cemetery that was beside the road. And he began dodging in and out of all the old gravestones until he luckily found a hole that was already dug in the ground, perhaps for a burial to come about in the near future. But he ducked in there quick, hoping that the others, those other guys, would just pass by. When he lay there sort of holding his breath for a little while, when suddenly he looked up, as he opened his eyes, looked up, and he saw those five guys were now standing over and peering down at him. And he was speechless for the moment until finally they looked at him and they said, Nasruddin, what are you doing? And then he looked a little closer and he said, I'm not real sure. I think maybe I'm here because you are and you must be here because I am. Pulled into Nazareth, I was feeling about half past day. Just need a place where I can lay my head. Mister, can you tell me where a man might find a bed? He just grinned and shook my head. No, was all he said. Take a load of any. Take a Picked up my bed, I went looking for a place to hide. When I saw the common and the devil walking side by side, I said, Hey, come, come on, let's go down. She said, well, I've got to go, but my friend can stick around. So a teacher friend of mine who teaches second grade told me this story some time back. She was teaching at the beginning of the year, and there were a number of refugee kids that had come in from Vietnam and from elsewhere in the southeast. 
Southeast Asia. And these second grade students, of course, didn't speak a lot of English, but she was trying to convey to them the idea of mathematics. And so to teach them some math, she divided up some cookies into halves and into quarters. And then she passed around some paper, and then she said, what I want you to do is I want you to write down what you want on the piece of paper, and then we'll pass them out. And then we'll figure out how we add these things together. Well, she explained it a couple of times. They finally understood what they were supposed to do with the piece of paper. And so when she walked around and picked up the piece of paper, she noticed that most of the refugee kids had written down a quarter. And so she asked some of, a couple of the girls there, she said, why did you all just want, do you understand the difference between a quarter and a half? And the, the smaller child, one of them could actually speak pretty good English. She said, oh, we understand. Of course we understand. A half is larger than a quarter. But we weren't sure there was enough to go around. Go down to Miss Moses. There ain't nothing you can say. It's just a look at looks waiting on the judgment bed. Now I look my friend. What about a young Galilee? Said to me a favor, son. Won't you stay and keep Anna company down? Take a load off penny. Take a sinking low and I do believe it's time to get back to Miss Valley you know she's the only one who sent me here with her Remember Richard Alpert from the 1960s and 70s, psychologist, eventually went over and studied in India, became Hindu, influenced by the Christian faith, but Hinduism took a strong role in his life, and he soon was uh, initiated in that and uh, took orders in that faith and became known better as Ram Das. Some of you know the name Ram Das. Famous book entitled Be Here Now, I believe it was called, and, and uh, Still a big bestseller. Ram Das once said in answer to the similar question that Richard Feynman had posed, he simply said, don't forget to walk each other home. That's why we're here. We're just here to walk each other home. So Howard Thurman was an African-American mystic and contemplative in the 70s. Many of you have heard me talk about him before. He was a spiritual mentor to Martin Luther King Jr., taught at Pacific School of Religion. He was, a, he was active for the cause of civil rights, of course. But something interesting about folks who have been active for the, rights of civil, for the cause of civil rights, whether it's the, um, 
whether it's Martin Luther King Jr. or it's Howard Thurman, who wrote that famous line that's quoted in here. I'm not going to get exactly correct, but it's quoted on the bulletin, which says, if you recognize, if you understand our interconnectedness, then hating someone is more terrible, more fearful than dying. Can you get to a place where you understand our interconnectedness with others, even our enemies, is so profound that we're, we're afraid of hating more than we're afraid of dying? That's a hard place to get. Howard Thurman started a congregation in North Carolina just outside of San Francisco. It's still there today. It's called the Fellowship of All, the Church of the Fellowship of All Peoples. He started it with a couple of other individuals, a couple of white pastors, a Presbyterian pastor, as well as a rabbi, as well as someone, I don't remember if it was a Buddhist or from, or from uh, Hinduism, but four or five different folks came together. Over time, it became one of the most inclusive communities around, especially for the late 60s and 70s, and even today, still flourishing. What kind of vision does it take to change the world? What would be the thing you would put on that piece of paper? Howard Thurman, before he died, made a famous uh, a quote that's been famous now, made famous by a couple of different books. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask instead what makes you come alive. Because if you are truly alive, what the world needs is people are truly alive. The question is, are you alive when you are just simply focused on what it is you want to do and what it is you want to have? Or are you more alive when you realize you're fed by those around you? It's an interesting question to ask. Valerie Carr, the famous uh, writer and author right now who started the uh, Revolutionary Love Project. Sikh Hindu, who started her organization after the first person who was killed after 9-11. Eastern, uh, a, a Sikh Hindu, actually, someone thought they were Muslim. And they shot him down in the, in the, uh, out in public. Turned out that it was her sort of family uncle. And as a result of that, she started this organization. And you know what she says? It's interesting. She says there are no enemies. There are only people who are part of us we don't know yet. Interconnectedness. What could it possibly mean for actually changing the world if we actually took that as our stance.
So this this idea of interdependence is an interesting one, I think, and it's one that you really have to put in mind as you're kind of going about your daily routine because it's so hard to see everything else in relationship to our own selves, right? And yet when Jesus was talking about I'm the vine and and you're the branches, there was this interconnectedness in sacredness, this interconnectedness in divinity, this interconnectedness, if you will, in love, the creative ground of our being. And that interconnectedness is something that is a part of everyone, regardless of whether or not they recognize it or not. It's a part of all of life. What would it mean if we actually adopted that? I mean, that's a hard practice. A lot of us do it all the time. I know we do. But we still find ourselves kind of in that place where it's hard to get out of our dualism and celebrate it, celebrate deep independence, which is a good thing. I'm, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Don't, I'm not burning any flags. <laughs> And yet it's a short-sighted thing. It's a short-sighted thing. What would be that one piece of information that would really help the next species move along into their future? Or you later this afternoon? Or those folks who just voted down certain civil rights and their future? It's all interdependent. What would be the next thing that would help that? So we're going to have a little communion, but it's not really communion. And I say that because in 11.11, we sort of reframe everything that we've done as we've come out of one sort of understanding of our Christian faith into a different, wider sort of understanding and a place of sort of ambiguity in some ways because a lot of us are still in the midst of questions. And so we celebrate questions. But the reality is, is that we also live in the midst of life, which gives us life and we give life back. And there's something deeply sacred about that. So for us, this common table is really about sustenance and life and what gives it and how we can give it back. So this morning, we're going to have bread and we're going to have water, two things which are both integrally important in our, in our sustenance and in the life of the world around us and also some stuff that's kind of diminishing little by little right now. So we have to be mindful of that. So there's more mindfulness to this celebration than simply gratitude and receiving. So here's how it's going to happen. I have five or six different breads. I just mixed them all up. There's French brioche. There's um, Middle Eastern um, hard bread. There's uh, uh, pitas, pita bread. There's um, Hawaiian bread. There's some kind of really, really sweet uh, bread in there that I already had three pieces of. And <laughs> so um, if you get it, you're lucky, um, but don't go digging. No, no digging. You just got to get what you get. You know, you just got to pick up what you can and move on, all right? So don't go looking for the sweet stuff. But it's all bread, right? And it's all from different parts of the world. And if you travel around in different parts of the world, they do bread differently. And so we're going to partake in that, and then someone's going to serve you a cup of water. There'll be cups up here for one station, and there'll be cups in the back for the two stations that will be in the back. So just find a way and go to one of those directions. Somebody will be serving the bread, and somebody will be pouring your water. So grab your cup of water, and then take the bread, and then go back to your seat, and then enjoy what it is. Take a moment to try to imagine what it is that you're actually partaking in as you partake in the bread of life and in the water of life. And then the band will be singing a little bit behind, and we'll close out with them. Just come as you wish.